You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1238 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast, making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you once again for joining us. Today's podcast will be a mailbag-driven episode with all kinds of topics. We'll talk about the NBA salary cap, which I've been teasing for a while. That'll be coming momentarily, as well as some questions about Trey Young and DeLon Wright and Nick Kongwu and DeAndre Hunter, etc. Topics that you're asking about, and we'll have many more of these coming up in the future in the offseason. As far as news is concerned, it's been pretty quiet for the Hawks, as you might expect. Season's over now. The draft is still more than a month away. So workouts, though, are ongoing for Atlanta. In fact, they had their most high-profile workout of the of the process so far earlier this week. LSU's Tari Eason was the high-profile name, a projected first-round pick that could be in the mix for the Hawks, a guy I actually like for the Hawks a little bit as a spoiler for the future on the podcast. But he was uh, in Atlanta working out, as well as Andrew Nemhart from Gonzaga, Colin Gillespie from Villanova. There are other interesting names that have been coming through recently. So um, not a ton of coverage on that for, on this podcast. It's still pretty early for that, but some draft stuff earlier this, uh, I guess, last week with uh, Mark Schindler uh, on this podcast as well. We have plenty more coming on the draft, which is like six weeks away. We're getting pretty close to the draft. But uh, on today's show, in the midst of a bunch of guests, I've had Tower Jones on and Ben Ladner on for two-part podcasts. It was Mark Schindler, like, like I mentioned a second ago. But today's just me and mailbag questions. I want to dive into the first one now. And it's actually a pretty long one. It could have been a whole show, quite honestly. And I almost did this, but in an effort to not be incredibly nerdy. Some of this is pretty nerdy stuff. My apologies, but it's uh, people are asking about it all the time. So I figured it's probably time to do a little bit of this. And the question that I'm going to answer comes from Steve, who asks, can you talk about the Hawks soccer situation? You may have already, but I don't think I've actually heard it in detail. So basically, I'm going limit, to limit it for now just to next season. There is a full like multi-year cap uh, question and analysis point that I might do in the future because uh, the Hawks have signed a lot of long-term deals from Trey Young to John Collins and Kevin Herter on down. But of course, next year is the most pressing when it comes to team building and the urgency the Hawks have been sharing uh, both at the highest levels and also with the fan base, et cetera, in recent days. Uh, so in an effort to sort of dive into that, I'm going to give you sort of an overview of what's to be going to be coming on the salary cap and what the luxury tax situation is, the money committed for the Hawks, because it definitely matters. Uh, there are always fans that say this doesn't matter and they, they don't really care about this. I understand that, but in the NBA in particular, the money side does matter. It's not my money. I always say that, and I want to say it one more time. I don't care in terms of the, the spending. Uh, if you're a fan, you should want the Hawks to spend as much money as they possibly have to to win. That should be the mindset of any, of any fan. But in the NBA, with the luxury tax and with salary matching on trades, the money stuff does play a huge part of it. And I have to be, I sort of become not an expert by any means, but certainly someone who's plugged into the CBA and kind of knows things and you kind of have to to cover the NBA at the highest level. So a quick rundown here at the top of this answer on what the Hawks actually have committed for next season on the salary cap. So in order from top to bottom, in terms of a most expensive contract to least expensive contract, they have Trey Young making 30.5 million. That could change, which we'll come back to. Uh, he's at the top of the contract heap for next year as his extension kicks in after the max extension that he signed um, for being a, a great player that he is. And then John Collins at $23.5 million. Danilo Gallinari at $21.4 million. That's non-guaranteed. We'll come back to that as well. Uh, $19.7 million for Clint Capella. $18 million for Bogdan Bogdanovich. $14.5 million for Kevin Herter. 
DeAndre Hunter at $9.8 million on the final year of his rookie deal as a top five pick, pretty expensive still. Um, Akongwu, $6.3 million as uh, his third season as, as number six overall pick in the draft, about $2.8 million for Jalen Johnson. And then also the guaranteed salary slot of the number 16 overall pick. Of course, the Hawks have not drafted that pick yet, so if they trade it, they won't have to have this player on the roster. But if they keep that pick and make it, that player will make about $3.5 million next season based on the NBA's rookie salary scale. So when you, add, I'm going to do the math for you on the podcast for the most part today. When you factor in the salary slot for that draft pick, the Hawks have committed an only guaranteed salary. I want to stress this, an only guaranteed salary about $133.7 million for next season. That only includes $5 million for Gallinari because that's all that's guaranteed on his contract. And crucially, it does not include any bump for Trey Young making All-NBA. Just for if anyone does not know this at this point in time, if Trey Young were to make All-NBA, and that could be out in the next couple of days, but MVP's already been announced. I'm sure the All-NBA stuff is going to be coming pretty soon. You might even, you actually already know this by the time you listen to this podcast. But if Trey makes All-NBA, you can add money to that. So keep that in mind. If Gallinari is on the team, which means he's on a guaranteed contract, the number jumps from about $134 million up to $150.2 million in salary if Gallo is on the team on his current salary. Then if you factor in Trey making All-NBA, uh, which makes him about $6 million a year, uh, that's a lot of money extra for Trey if he makes it. Um, if he makes it, the Hawks would be at about $156 million in salary with only 10 players on the roster. For reference, the salary cap is about $122 million. So obviously they're way over that. Even with the bare minimum of guaranteed contracts, the Hawks are way over the salary cap. So I'm going to keep in mind for the future. No more cap space for the Hawks for a while. The luxury tax is $149 million right now for next season. So with 10 guys on the roster, if you keep Gallo and Trey makes all NBA, you are $7 million over the tax without doing anything else. That kind of tells you why I talk about the tax all the time. It's going to matter on some level. And again, that's with 10 players. That has nothing for DeLon Wright, for instance, who was really good in the playoffs, that has no backup point guard at all. Um, that doesn't even include like someone like Skylar Mays or Sharif Cooper, who are going to be free agents, or we could be uh, restricted free agents in the near future. So that's 10 guys. That's three wings total, no backup point guard, uh, no third center, uh, et cetera. So they have some real questions there. If you keep Gallo and do nothing else, again, be well over $10 million into the tax. That is a, a pretty crazy thing when you factor in all the minimum salary. Even if you go just straight minimums beyond that, you would be like, what, $60 million? Something like that. It would be a lot of money committed to this roster. There are other examples, of course, some hypothetical. I'm not going to do all the hypotheticals. That could be its own show. But let's say the Hawks are able to get off of Gallinari for nothing. Right now, only one team in the league can take Gallinari before his guarantee date, by the way, which is June 29th, uh, before free agency starts. So if, if Gallinari is still on the roster, he'll be guaranteed when free agency opens. The Hawks could trade him to Oklahoma City, who's the one team that actually has the half space to take him on right now in this current league year. The league year does not change over until, Jan until July 1st. So the draft is still in this league year. Keep that in mind. Um, regardless, if they were to get off Gallinari in full, which is not easy, by the way, um, if Trey made All-NBA, they would still be at $135 million. So well over the cap and approaching the tax with nine guys on the team. They could stay under the tax with that with that scenario, but you have to go pretty light. They have the taxpayer mid-level, et cetera, if they want to do that non-taxpayer non if they stay under the cap. Regardless, I'm trying not to go too nerdy on you, but basically they have to go pretty cheap if they want to kind of run it back. Um, another consideration, by the way, is the potential for triggering a hard cap if they do a sign-and-trade. Some of the favorite scenarios from Hawks fans that I keep seeing and keep being asked about are sort of pie in the sky, to be fair, but – Guys that are like free agents this year, like DeAndre Ayton or Zach Levine, who are free agents now that could be sign-and-trade candidates. 
if the Hawks were to make a sign and trade like that, they'd be triggering in the hard cap. And that means there is a set number the Hawks absolutely could not go over for any reason. The normal traditional salary cap in the NBA is a soft cap. You can exceed it for different reasons. The Hawks are being over it now. It kind of tells you what, what that is. But if you trigger a hard cap, you can't go over that for any reason. That kind of limits your options. And it'd be something like in the mid-150s in, mid, in, mid in terms of a million dollars. So without going crazy into that, um, the hard cap is well into the tax. So maybe that, that's sort of a, a reason or a way to keep spending down while uh, sort of giving yourself an excuse as to why you can't pay any more. Regardless, though, that's a possibility for a sign-and-trade if they were to do that. Again, you kind of have to have a player choose you and get the team to agree to a contract if you were the Bulls or the Suns or whoever. That's kind of a, a tough one for sure. But anyway, I want to at least mention that possibility because sign-and-trades are not always the easiest thing in the world, and they do trigger the hard cap. The last type of pickle that I'll throw at you, uh, throw your way, and because I could do this all day long, honestly. If the Hawks were owned, let's say, by Steve Ballmer, who's the Clippers owner, is a Incredibly rich man and does not care about the luxury tax. He's spending tons and tons and tons of money and does not care, just wants to win. If the Hawks had that, they could do kind of what the Clippers have done and just use their money and use their provisions and exceptions to their advantage and spend a ton, but also improve their roster potentially. For instance, the Hawks could either retain Gallinari on his big number or they could trade him to keep that salary slot alive. You could trade Gallo for, his, for some big salary, not trade anybody else, and improve your roster that way. Then they can also go over the cap because they have the bird rights on DeLon Wright, which basically means they can sign him to whatever deal they want to. If they wanted to give DeLon Wright the max, they actually could, which is funny. They won't do that, obviously, but if they, if they wanted to, they, they actually could do that. But if you wanted to just sort of not care about money at all, what you would do, at least what I would do, would be to maybe not keep Gallinari, but certainly keep his contract and trade his contract or keep him, one of the two, and then also use the bird rights on DeLon Wright. That's, that way you keep all your guys on your roster you're really expensive, but you also have trade pieces, et cetera. You could trade guys from there. That's the way to do it if you don't care about money. Now, I think the Hawks are going to care about money on some level. As much as Tony Russell said he's going to pay the tax, he's not going to go in, into the Joe Psy, Steve Ballmer realm of what the Clippers and Nets are doing and spending tons and tons and tons of money this year. I'd be pretty surprised by that. Regardless, though, they could use all of that plus the mid-level. Um, if you are in the tax, you have the taxpayer mid-level, which is a little bit cheaper. If you're not in the tax, you have the non-taxpayer mid-level, which is like $10 million. So last thing, I'll zoom out a little bit here before we get into some other stuff um, on the uh, on the salary cap. But Gallinari, again, Gallinari's contract guarantees June 29th. So that's a huge uh, deadline that the Hawks will be keeping an eye on. Decisions to be made. But that's between the draft and free agency. And again, exceptions are, are concerned. The Hawks do have, if they're under the tax, they could spend up to $10.2 million on a non-taxpayer mid-level exception guy. That's just money you can spend, but you have to consider the money you're spending. If you go into the tax, you have only the taxpayer mid-level, which is like $6.3 million. But you could reasonably get a rotation guy with that number. Um, that's definitely that's definitely important. And last but not least, trades can change all of this stuff. Now, the trade rules have to apply. So it's uh, kind of tough to cut huge amounts of salary or gain huge amounts of salary right now if you're the Hawks. But the willingness to pay the tax sort of informs a lot of this decision-making. And right now, as I try to convey to you, the Hawks are very expensive. That's kind of the price of keeping everyone but Cam Reddish that the Hawks have either acquired via draft in the first round or, except for Mark Spellman, I guess, um, or they've signed for free agency or traded. All of their core guys, Sands, Cam Reddish, have been retained beyond their first contract or they're still an expensive contract. Kevin Herter, they signed to an extension. John Collins, they re-signed. Um, obviously, Trey Young, they have gotten on an extension. And then you have the guys like Capella and Bogey and Gallo who are still on big money deals, et cetera. So, uh, and even Hunter, 
it's gonna be interesting decision making on him in the future as well when it comes to his, his potential extension. So all that said, I can rant and rant, rant, rant all day, but I basically tell you what the options are outside of trades. Trades are always a, a key component here, but the Hawks are gonna be very expensive. The cap number, um, you know, cap space is out the window. I'll just say it one more time. Cap space is not an option for the Hawks. They are way, way, way over the cap and the tax is the concern and the apron and all that fun stuff. So we'll have more, more on this in the future, but that, that's sort of my, uh, my overview to answer the one question. I've got a lot of questions about, about this. Thanks, thanks for the question for Steve. And hopefully that paints a pretty decent picture at the top of the podcast. Okay. Before we get to the rest of the mailbag, and there are many more questions to answer a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by bet online. And it's of course may now, Baseball is up and running at full steam. I'm enjoying baseball almost every day of my life right now, and the NBA playoffs are continuing uh, with basically a doubleheader every night at the moment. It's been a lot of fun to watch the NBA playoffs, even without the Hawks involved. And with that in mind, BetOnline.net is number one source for all of your sports betting information and your needs this time of year and always, quite frankly. With all the latest odds, contests, futures, player props, exotics, and more, BetOnline is the best spot for all the latest developments in sports that includes podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. Not just basketball or baseball either. They have all kinds of offerings across the board in the sports world, and they even have live betting, poker, and casino games. BetOnline also has odds on golf and esports, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, hockey, MMA. They have boxing, cricket, Soccer, entertainment bets, and much more. And futures bets are always available on football. Even the NBA title odds and all that stuff is still available right now. College basketball, March Madness, etc. It's all available for you in the future and the present at BetOnline. Head there right now at BetOnline.net on your computer mobile device to learn more about all the trends and the action across the sports world today. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, first question is actually kind of related to the first segment of the podcast. And it comes from Myron, who asks, Do you think Trey Young is actually going to make All-NBA? It seems like that impacts the salary cap decisions for the Hawks. So I'm answering this question first on purpose, obviously. Um, but there is this incredibly odd dynamic in which it actually helps the Hawks, quote unquote, helps the Hawks, at least helps Tony Ressler's pocket and flexibility if Trey doesn't make it, which is crazy because the team has to root for him, obviously, for reasons. You know, they have to have that relationship with Trey Young. But kind of crazy there. Not my favorite system. I, I could go on that rabbit hole all day long about how it seems very silly to me that a team is actually incentivized to have a guy not make All-NBA. Regardless, I do think that Trey is going to make it and he would deserve it. I've said multiple times on the show, I think Trey should make all NBA. I believe he's going to. I think it's not 100% or anything like that. So it's not a lock. There are certain guys who are locks. I think Trey Young is not quite on that level in terms of what the voting will actually be. I would have him on comfortably. But I think because of the way the Hawks close the regular season with a pretty good surge, 26 and 14 in the last 40 games, all that fun stuff, and the fact that the Hawks, uh, sorry, that Trey led the league in points and assists, those kind of uh, categories, those little snapshots, do help him in this. And I think in sort of uh, taking a step back, if the Hawks had closed the season like under 500 and never had that run, I think he was probably in trouble. I think I th- I'm pretty sure I even said on Mar- in March on the show, I thought Trey wasn't going to make it. And I believe that. Okay. And honestly, I think that was probably still the case if the Hawks didn't have it at strong close. But I think in taking stock of some public ballots that have been shared by voters and also talking to some voters behind the scenes that I know who are covering the league, I think he's going to make it. Um, again, I think he should be a, a no-brainer. I think he should be on the team for sure. I think he's going to be on the third team, to be honest, and just kind of taking stock of what's going, what's already out there. But as a reminder, that doesn't matter in terms of his of his salary. Any All-NBA team is the exact same trigger for Trey Young's contract. He will make about $30 million more over the life of that five-year deal if he makes All-NBA. That's about $6 million a year. So just tack on $6 million or so. It's not exactly $6 million, but close to that um, if he makes All-NBA. So we'll keep an eye on that in the future. Again, the, the announcement could be pretty soon. The, the NBA does not tell you when the announcements are going to be coming, but uh, MVP is already out. Uh, a lot of the awards are already done. So All-NBA is going to be the last 
thing that probably gets shared by the league. So if you're listening to this podcast after I post it, it might have already happened by now. But in terms of I'm recording this in mid-May on, on a Thursday, uh, I think Trey is going to make it and that will uh, add some salary to the Hawks. Next question comes from Andrew, not Andrew Kelly. Josh Andrew Kelly, who'll be on, who'll probably be on the show pretty soon. Um, but a, a different Andrew who asked me, would you be surprised if Travis Schlank just ran it back with most of the same players next year? Uh, most of is pretty interesting here, but I will be surprised if he ran it back with all of the same players from the court. I said that a few times on the, on the show, but I know not everybody listens, listens to every podcast. I'm uh, fairly confident, not like a lock or anything, but I, if I had to guess, I think that the Hawks will trade at least one of their, what I described as core guys. Now, people have kind of asked me what core means. Um, there are different lengths of core, which I will say, um, you know, if, if core means untouchable, then there's one guy in the core, that's Trey Young. But for me, the at least the extended core involves Trey, Kevin Herter, Bogdanovich, Hunter, Collins, Capella, and Conwood. Those are the guys who they've invested in at a high level, um, both either in free agency or trade or draft that are uh, certainly part of the extended core of the team. You could argue Jalen Johnson would be the ninth guy on that list, and that's not it's reasonable. He's a first-round pick recently, but he's not played a ton yet, so I'm not 100% sure about, sure about that. But I think that at some point in the next couple of months, they're going to add to that core, whether it's via trade, including, that guy, including one of those guys or two of those guys or whatever, or they go out and do something else, like maybe trade Gallo plus a pick for something like that, et cetera. There's, there are ways to do it without, without trading one of those guys. I'll be honest about that, but I think the core is going to change. On some level, whether, whether it be addition, subtraction, swap, something, I'll be surprised. I won't be shocked, but I'll be surprised if Schlenk just runs it back with all the same guys. Most of, that wouldn't shock me. Like, if you told me only one of those guys leaves or even none of those guys, they just kind of add somebody else, that wouldn't blow me away. But I think uh, if they ran it back with all the same guys, I'll be pretty surprised. There's just too much smoke, basically, after all the comments from Tony Ressler and Travis Schlenk and all the upgrade talk that there's been. I'll be surprised if they just kind of run it back. To that end, next question come from, comes from the cheap card gamer who asks, "If we don't make any trades this offseason and no, and no no major free agent signings, what do you think? What do you see as the ceiling for this team? And also, what is your favorite build bar?" <laughs> Thank you for the question. Uh, we just kind of established that I don't think it's likely to happen that the Hawks just ran it back. But to the question, if they did just run it back, I think the Hawks would be better than last year. Um, I thought during the season they were better than they actually were. I think the second half of the season is more likely to be what they would be, which is like a 50-ish win team, like a high 40s, maybe 50-ish win team, which is what I thought they were going to be last year, to be honest with you. Um, I would probably project them when you factor in some variants of health or whatever to win like, you know, in the high 40s, maybe 50-ish games. If they just kept the same guys again, it'd be, you know, most of their guys would be a year older and presumably a little bit better. Um, guys like Bogdanovich and Capella could be maybe a little bit worse at their age, but most of the players from Trey to Collins to Hunter, Kongwu, Herder, you would expect to be, if anything, better than they were last year just because of age and progression. So I think they could, uh, as, far, as far as ceiling is concerned, which was that, which actually the question, I think they could probably be like the you know top two or three seed win in the low 50s, mid 50s, if everything went perfectly. And you get like a like a leap from Hunter, let's say, or a leap from a Kongwu or something like that. Um, but I think in terms of like projection, they could run it back and be good. Uh, that's kind of, lost in all this stuff. I think this is still a good team. Um, are they a great contending team as constructed? No, they are not, but they are still very good in my mind. And they probably underachieved this year. In fact, I know they underachieved this year. So I think if they just ran it back, uh, made a draft pick, whatever, kind of just kept the core together, they'd still be pretty good. Uh, I'm not sure how good, but they'd be pretty good. Uh, last, I guess, part of that question was the built bar question. Uh, my favorite built bar has always been cookies and cream. And I still stand by that. It's an awesome flavor. Um, 
But I think banana cream pie is rising in my rankings. It's one of the puff bars from Built Bar, by the way. Uh, if a frequent sponsor of the podcast, check it out at built.com. But um, it's very, very good. There are all kinds of great. And I, I swear to God, I always say this all the time, but there are no bad Built Bars. I've never had a bad Built Bar. It's pretty crazy how good they are. But um, cookies and cream remains number one for me. Number two, maybe, or at least rising up the rankings, banana cream pie. Check them all out today. Okay. Uh, one more question that's a quick one that I'll answer comes from Mikey, who asks, how possible do you think it is to have a backup backcourt of DeLon Wright and Sharif Cooper if they were to re-sign both next year? Um, it's possible. You know, as I said before, DeLon Wright has bird rights with the Hawks. He could see he could resign. I know Chris Kirschner thinks, uh, we see reported this week, that he thinks that they're going to bring DeLon Wright back. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I think the number will be interesting there with, for tax concerns and for what he can. But again, they can pay him whatever, whatever they want to. And of course, I'm a huge DeLon Wright guy. Whether they have him back as the only backup point guard is a question for me. Obviously, Nate didn't always love playing him at point guard, but I think he's was still good in that role. I think Sharif will be on the team next year. Um, he does not have to be. They could move on, but I'd be shocked if they did. I think he'll be back on a probably minimum contract. Uh, but alas, he'll be around, I think. Um, as far as that being the backup backcourt, obviously, I think that the Hawks are likely to bring in somebody else. And, you know, I'm not sure if this is the question is backup point guards. That wouldn't stun me if it was just Alon and Sharif as the two and three behind Trey Young. Um, but they'll be have, they'll have somebody else in the mix, whether it be Skylar Mays or a veteran, or they'll have another guard option, another with the combo guard option to go along with whoever's playing the two, whether it be Herder, Bogdanovich, or somebody from outside the organization. So um, to answer the question, I, I think that it's possible those guys are both back. I think it's probably likely that at least Sharif is back and maybe maybe DeLon as well. But uh, probably not just those guys in the backcourt and nothing else. We'll see about Skylar Mays, who's a free agent, et cetera. But uh, just hopefully that answers the question in some kind of appropriate form. Okay. Before we get to the rest of the podcast, a few more questions to answer on the show. A word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Rock Auto, and today's auto world is so many mix and models these days that it actually is basically impossible for your local chain store to stock all the parts that you need for your car or your truck. And even if they had them, do you actually want to go to the store and deal with the person behind the counter? They want to sell you what they want to sell you from behind the counter or in the warehouse, wherever that makes it easier for them, best for them. Instead, make it best for you by going to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket. It's also available 24-7, 365. That's a much better option for you from a convenience standpoint and also from a price standpoint. Why spend more? The exact same parts at a dealership or a store like that where you can save so much money at rockauto.com. And it's a family business, been operating for more than two decades. At this stage, Rock Auto's prices are reliably low for each and every customer, no matter who you are. And they have everything you possibly want for your car or your truck. That includes till, your tail lamps or motor oil, even brake parts or carpet. Check out the website right now at rockauto.com to make all the decisions for you and see all the parts available for your car or in your truck when you get there. Right locked on in the box that asks you how you got to rockauto.com and tell them that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, more questions. And the next one comes from John Nelson, who asks, did the Hawks suffer from giving all their backup ball handling and creating minutes to Lou Williams during the season? And he says, I can't help but think that having Herder or Bogey take those possessions would have given us a little bit more variety when the Heat forced the ball out of Trey Young's hands. And he also says that he's from Gwinnett and he's not uh, nothing personal with Lou Williams. I feel the same way about that. I've always said that. I've been a Lou guy forever. Um, but the short answer for this year, if we're just being objective, and that's my job on this podcast, uh, I think the short answer is yes. I think Lou was not very good this season. That was not a huge secret. Um, I think most people that watch the Hawks intently would have told you that he was not very good. The numbers are pretty ugly for Lou this year. I think he'll probably retire, and it's been a heck of a career, but I think it's probably a little bit over for Lou. He was outside the top 300 in some of those catch-all metrics. He's a, you know sort of a below-average rotation player at minimum. He had his worst shooting season since his rookie year. His assist rate was way down. Um, his um, usage was also also down a little bit, but 
defensively, there's not a lot there from Lou. So I'm not going to go crazy about just evaluating Lou, but as far as the question is concerned, Lou had the one good month in January. We had some time off before that, had, had some more juice from there. But it seemed pretty quick, pretty clear to me that they, they were better off playing DeLon. And, uh, you know, obviously DeLon has some shortcomings as a creator, which they've all acknowledged, including DeLon. But I think that um, Herter and Bogey being more um, utilized in that way would have prepared them a little bit better for the playoffs, just to answer the question. So it would have been better overall, both to win games and also to prepare themselves for the playoffs if they had given more on-ball reps to Herter and Bogey and DeLon. Uh, for sure. I think it kind of corrected itself at the end of the season when DeLon was playing and Lou was out and they kind of featured Bogey a little bit more. But part of the problem also is that Bogey was hurt and limited at times. Herter is not aggressive enough all the time either. So, you know, going back to what we've talked about a lot and what we'll probably still talk about throughout the offseason is that the Hawks do, at least they could benefit from a number two creator of some kind. And uh, you can sort of argue, I know Tower Jones on a recent podcast said he thinks it's Kevin Herter. Um, Bogey has been their most aggressive guy. DeLon is more of a caretaker kind of point guard, uh, more of a sort of a combo guard type. But um, regardless, they would have been better prepared, I think, if they had not played Lou so much. I know why they did. You know, Nate trusting Lou is sort of Nate trusting veterans. But And obviously, Lou's been good for a long time. I think it's kind of the end of the road. It would, it would have been better if they moved on a little bit earlier. By the end of the season, we saw he was not playing, and there was a reason for that. Okay, a uh, question from Tyrone, who asks, with a few of the remaining playoff teams playing multiple big lineups, why can't the Hawks play a lineup with Collins, Akongwu, and Capella together? He says, I know I, I know, Akongwu's not a very good shooter, but why not try something? So, uh, short answer, I think that's not a lineup that you'll see with any regularity from the Hawks unless Akongwu becomes a better shooter, which I should come back to in, in a question later on in the podcast. We did see them briefly use some Gallo at the three lineups last year in the playoffs against the Bucks, but Milwaukee was playing so big and the Hawks just kind of ran out of wings. They didn't really have a lot of options there. Plus Gallo is a shooter that Kongu is not. But the big problem, I think it's pretty obvious why. The big problem with that lineup would be spacing on offense and ball handling as well on offense. And then uh, defensively, it would work on some teams, but you would have, you would not be, if you're playing a team that has like great wings, Collins is a great athlete, but not against like, small forwards or shooting guards. Uh, Kongu is uh, probably even a little bit better in space than Collins is defensively. But on offense, like you're playing two non-shooters. Right now, especially I think Kongu will, will be able to shoot at some point. He can't shoot now and Capella can't shoot, obviously. Collins can shoot, but he's more of like a, a spot-up guy. He's not going to shoot a ton off of like movement from the perimeter, etc. I do enjoy weird lineups, but uh, it would take a pretty special circumstance to play those uh, those three guys together. I do think, though, they could play a little bit um, more big at times, more physicality at times. But those three guys in particular don't really work in most situations because of the shooting. Next set of questions, actually two questions, and they're, they're both about a Kongwu. I'm pairing them together. Uh, one from Sean, who asked, do you think a Kongwu could be a long-term solution at center? And he says he is not as good as Capella is right now. He's not a good rebounder either. Uh, and he's also very undersized. And the next question comes from Justin, who asks, Given his size, if a Kongu learns to shoot the ball, do you think he could be used at the four at some point? And he says he's only one inch taller than Kevin Herter. That's also true. Uh, so they're kind of related, obviously. The first question, I do believe wholeheartedly that a Kongu could be the long-term guy at center for the Hawks. I also agree he's not as good as Capella right now. There's been uh, some people think that Akong was as good or better as Capella right now. That's just not the case. I think you're projecting four, which is okay. But right now, the, today, like there's no argument in my mind that Akong was as good as Capella this year. No. Uh, and that's not, and by the way, that's not about Akong. That's about Capella being good. Capella is very good. Kong not being as good as Capella is on a shot at him. I think if Akong was on a lot of teams, he'd be their starting center and he'd be good. Right now, he's already a good player. But he's also a very different player than, than Capella, in part due to the size that was asked about in the question. 
he's never going to be a great rebounder. I think he'll be better than he has been, but he's pretty bad right now as a rebounder. But he has incredibly intriguing mobility defensively. And even offensively, he's very quick, very fast, very rangy. He has good touch on offense as a finisher, as a floater guy. He's a legitimate rim protector defensively. Even at his limited height, he's very long and can jump. So he's a good, and he has good timing and good kind of feel defensively. I have long been a believer in Okongwu. I like him quite a bit. I think he's going to be awesome in the future. I think there has to be some creativity probably in your coaching staff and your scheme stuff to use Okongwu as your only center or your primary center. Um, but we've seen evidence on the Hawks in the last decade. Al Horford is bigger than a Kongwu. I'll be clear about that. But he's definitely not your traditional seven-foot bruising center. Al's like 6'9", maybe 6'10". Uh, he's bigger than a Kongwu, but we saw that actually work. And part of that's the pairing of who you put him with, part of that scheme stuff, rebounding, how do you make up for that. Also, like, Bale Adebayo has been a comparison point for a Kongwu for a long time. He's also a little bit bigger than a Kongwu, but I think those are pretty similar guys. I'm not saying, by the way, for the record, that he'll be as good as Al Horford, who might be a Hall of Famer, or, or, or Bale Adebayo, who's already an all-star. But his ceiling is that. I mean, he, he could be really, really good. I mean, he could be an all-star player if it, if it all came together perfectly. But as far as him playing a little bit of four, I think he could play the four. But I want to stress that he was drafted as a center. I know there's always, even dating back to Al Horford, I make fun of this all the time, the natural position, conversation with Al Horford being a power forward. The Hawks drafted a Kongwu expressly to play center. He is a center. I know people won't love that because he's 6'8". I get it, but I'm telling you, both in evaluation and what the Hawks think, he is a center. Full stop. Now, he could be, if he becomes a reliable shooter, that's a big if, but if he, could, if he becomes a reliable shooter, he could play the four. Obviously, Al Horford played some four. Bam Adebayo has played some four in his career. If Okongwu can shoot, he can play the four. In fact, if you paired him with like Carl Anthony Towns right now and you wanted to call Okongwu the four, that would work. But you can't pair him with a center that can't shoot and Capella can't shoot. So that that pairing does not really work right now. If Okongwu could shoot, maybe we'll see. But like, obviously it's not just Carl Anthony Towns. Like, just pick a guy. Like, pick your rangy, uh, you know, pick and pop kind of center. Um, you can play with Al Horford because Al Horford can shoot. But regardless, I think that you could play him at the four. I think long-term, though, he's going to be a five. I think he'll be a primary five. And uh, most teams, he'd be a five. I've said before, they'll have to choose at some point between those two guys. Not in a bad way, but because you just don't, you just do not draft someone like a Kong Wu at number six overall in the draft. Again, a top half of the lottery draft pick. That guy does not stay as an 18-minute-a-game 18 18 minute game backup center for very long. By his fourth year, he cannot be that in, in that role. He's got to, he's got to have a bigger role. And that's just kind of tough to do with Capella on the roster. So at some point, they're going to have to choose. We'll see when that is. But I, I do I do firmly believe in a Kongwu. I want to be clear about that on the podcast. All right, last question comes from Peyton, who asks, what do you think DeAndre, DeAndre Hunter's ceiling was pre-draft? And what do you think it is now? So in recent days, I have been uh, kind of picked on by some people for being too low on DeAndre Hunter. I get I kind of get that, I guess. He, I, I know last few podcasts, I guess, in particular, I talked about Hunter, and uh, I'll stand by this. He was not good this season, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that he's going to be bad long-term. That, there's a fundamental difference between he was not good in year three because he wasn't, or he's bad long-term. Those things do not have to be the same. Like, Hunter, I still like. I've always liked Hunter. I know Tower Jones is lower on Hunter. We talked about that on the podcast. Acknowledge that on the podcast. He's not a big Hunter believer. I get that. That's okay, too. But uh, if you'll remember... I actually had Hunter in my top five when a lot of people didn't in the, in the draft process. Um, I didn't love the trade for him. I'll be honest about that, but it was way more about the trade than the player. I still believe Hunter has the tools to be a really, really good, impactful player. Now, 
does he have the tools to be a superstar? I don't really think so. So as far as ceiling, ceiling pre-draft, there was a lot of the like baby Kawhi stuff. I never saw that, even as someone who had him in the top five. I don't ever think he had this star, star, star upside. Could he be like a supplementary star? Maybe if the offense came together. But again, through three seasons, his offense has basically been good for a couple of segments of three seasons. Uh, Three-point shooting has been better this year. So pre-draft ceiling, um, I'll say I thought it was going to be like you know, top 40 player in the league kind of guy, like a number three on a good team, uh, maybe a number two, maybe if you have a great star, has a ceiling pre-draft, more of a defense first. But the value of a 6'8", switchable you know, combo forward wing with some offensive skills is off the charts. Even if that guy's not a superstar, those guys do not grow on trees and every team wants them. And that's still the case. With Hunter. That's the thing about Hunter and why, if I'm the Hawks, um, there is some risk in not paying him now because if he has a great four, a great fourth season, he might be a, a max kind of player. That, that's the kind of uh, contract those guys demand. He's not Mikhail Bridges by any means. Mikhail Bridges is a much better defender than Hunter is right now, but that's 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 the kind of player. Mikhail Bridges is not going to be a superstar. Of course, he's an elite defender, and Hunter's not really that just yet, but that's the thing. Like Bridges might be a max player, even without being a star. That's possible to do. As for if his ceiling has changed, I think it's probably a little bit lower now. Um, just because of the defense more than anything else. I think the offense has been not great at times, but defensively um, Hunter is, has been their best defender on the wing for most of his, most of his time. That is undisputed. So when I bring this up on recent shows, I got pushed back. Like, well, he's the, he's the best defender. Yeah, he is. But that doesn't mean that he's a great defender. He's, he's not right now. I think in college um, he was able to get by with a lot of stuff. Um, I think he's a pretty good defender in certain situations. He's big, he's physical, he's got great tools, but there are some limitations there. He's not, he's not a playmaker by any means. You don't have to be a playmaker defensively, but if you're not a playmaker, which, which means like blocks, steals, deflections, et cetera, if you're not that and you're a bad rebounder, that kind of limits your ceiling defensively. Now, is he like pretty good one-on-one against big physical wings? Yeah, he's pretty good at that sometimes, but he's not like dominant. He's not Marcus Smart. Like he's not, he's not, not the Marcus Smart of forwards. So I think his realistic ceiling now is a little bit lower, but again, I still believe DeAndre Hunter could be a perennial like top 50 kind of player in the league if he puts it together, um, would I project that now after three years? I, I think you probably can't project that. I think it, it does matter. Does, does it rule you out of being a good player? No, but we have to be honest with each other. And part of my job is to say stuff that people don't always love, but through three seasons, he has not been particularly good as an NBA player. Does that mean he's a bad prospect? No, it does not. But you have to kind of temper expectations just a little bit because he's, he's a little bit older too. It's not like this is a, a guy who came in the league at 18. DeAndre Hunter is 24. He'll be 25 in December which isn't super old. You can still improve, but he's not 21. He's not 22 even. He, he's, he's almost 25. So keep that in mind as well. So hopefully that answers the question. I never thought he was going to be like a Kawhi Leonard light. Um, it's more of a, he's going to be a role player. I firmly believe that. Can he be your third best player? Yeah, I think he can be if, if it all comes together. Will he be? That, uh, that definitely remains to be seen. And there's a whole conversation about his extension, which we'll probably come back to in the near future. But my general thought on that is that guys should not get extended by the, on the team side, unless you're getting a great deal. And if you're Hunter, I think you have a lot of incentive to wait if you're not going to get a lot of money right now to try to maximize and hit. Because like I said, his ceiling is so high that if he has a great year in year four, he might be a $100 million player. That's a lot of money. So we'll see. But that's hopefully that answers the question. And uh, I want to be very honest about this. I still like the under Hunter. I still kind of buy the under Hunter as a prospect. It's just that that's not the same thing as him being good in the last three years. And uh, I think it was a bad season for him. Not, maybe not bad. Disappointing season for him in year three. He had some positives. Three-point shooting was a certain positive. Defensively, he had some moments, but his two-point shooting went down. The rebounding, et cetera, there are some flaws. And I think it's going to be, if nothing else, 
a very important slash big season for him and the Hawks in year four. If he's back with the Hawks, I can tell you right now, barring some crazy trade, he is going to be the X factor player for next season. If he has a big leap, the Hawks might have a big leap with him. If he stagnates and he's the same guy he was in year three, the Hawks' ceiling is capped. So that, that puts a lot of pressure on him. That's kind of the process here when you talk about investing three, four, five assets and in trade into a top five pick. That guy's got a hit for you. And right now, for three years, he hasn't hit yet. But the door is still open. I still believe in DeAndre Hunter. And uh, a lot of pressure on him, though, in year four, as we'll come back to, I'm sure, many times in the next couple of months. Okay. That's going to be it for today's podcast. Please, please, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and YouTube and Spotify and Stitcher and Podbean. Anywhere you like to listen to podcasts, we are definitely going to be there. Um, I know YouTube is growing. Thank you for doing that. The best way to support, support the show, honestly, there's no Patreon, anything like that. The best way to support the show is to subscribe on multiple platforms, maybe auto-download, download across platforms, watch across platforms, leave five-star reviews, watch on YouTube. If you're like leaving the room one day, just leave it on for a while, see what happens. All that stuff helps to support the podcast and please subscribe. Please tell a friend. That's also huge too, to spread the word about the podcast. And I really do thank you for supporting the show. Please follow us on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland, and we'll see you next time.